Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to HuffPost's brand new weekly podcast, Am I Making You Uncomfortable? Presented by me, Brogan Driscoll. And me, Rachel Moss. This podcast is a frank, honest conversation about women's bodies, health and private lives. This week, we're discussing vaginismus. If you've not heard of it before, vaginismus is a condition that causes the vaginal muscles to suddenly tighten up on their own just as you try to insert something, be that a tampon, a finger, a penis or even the equipment used during a smear test. It's actually quite common. It's thought to affect every two in a thousand people, but because there's such a taboo around talking about it, the prevalence may actually be much higher. We'll be joined by Lisa McKenzie, co-founder of the Vaginismus Network, and Dr. Wafa El-Tanawi, qualified psychosexual therapist, relationship counsellor and gynaecologist. You're listening to Am I Making You Uncomfortable? And the hashtag is AIMYU. Vaginismus is totally involuntary. When those muscles close up, it feels like there's no opening to my vagina at all. When you push too hard, it's like being stabbed with a huge knife, which was my first smear test experience. I grew up with some unbalanced views about sex, and I didn't even try penetrative sex until my mid-30s. My marriage ended because of my vaginismus. I was 28 when I got married. I'd been waiting my whole life to have sex. I'd come from a cultural background where it was really important to be pure and to save yourself. And so I didn't really know what was gonna happen, I guess. And we tried for four years. He wasn't the most patient and eventually he ended up falling in love with someone else. And I was left heartbroken and alone. It's so interesting that vaginismus is, as you say, quite common because until recently, I'd never really heard about it. Mm -hmm. And it was only recently, like at the beginning of lockdown, that I've ever seen it referenced in popular culture. So I don't know about you, but I think I was one of the many people who basically devoured Unorthodox, a Netflix series based on a true story by Deborah Feldman. Um, it's about a young Hasidic Jewish woman who flees her arranged marriage and community in Brooklyn to move to Berlin. Without giving too many spoilers away, <laughs> because obviously there'll be some people who didn't devour it as quickly as I did. Um, but one of the key elements in it, in her kind of marriage and why her marriage was an unhappy one, was all of the pressures put on them as a couple to consummate the marriage. Mm -hmm. And basically it turns out like later on in the series, you find out that she has vaginismus and there are some really, really awful but powerful scenes of them as a young couple in bed trying to kind of have sex and her being in so much pain that she's like wailing mm -hmm. in agony and, and crying. And the 
kind of whole narrative around it, at least from kind of his perspective, is that the reason they can't consummate the marriage is because it's her fault. Yeah. And all her family know about it. And it's just the whole onus around it is placed on her. It's such an awful thing to watch. Did you watch it? Yeah, yeah, I also did. And those scenes that you're referencing, I almost feel my body tighten as I think about Mm -hmm. them now because the actress that played the protagonist in that, she was so, so brilliant. And just her face showed the pain that she was clearly in but also the dialogue they had around it I think there was one point where she kind of said to him just do it even though it was obviously really painful for her and you know the emotional side of it as well was just really really traumatic to view but super super powerful as you said I think it's important that we see these things it's um Mm. it's interesting as you said I also haven't really seen vaginismus in popular culture that much before But funnily enough, in the past six months, I think I've seen it three times. So it's gone from nothing to suddenly I've seen it quite frequently, which is a really good thing. Before I watched Unorthodox, I actually saw Vaginismus for the first time on screen in Sex Education. Uh, A character in Sex Education called Lily has Vaginismus and she describes it by saying, my vagina is like a Venus flytrap. The reason why I loved the scene with Lily so much is because she's talking to a girl that she's just started dating about her vaginismus. It completely gets away from that hetero idea that vaginismus is all about like p and v when it's not at all it's Mm. so much more than that and lily says you know i struggle with having a finger inside me or a tampon inside me and then the girl she's dating says something along the lines of well how do you masturbate and then she says oh i just stick to the outside which i absolutely love because one of the things when we've written about vaginismus in the past that comes up as well is this idea that people with vaginismus don't want sex or aren't sexual people which isn't true it's a complete myth so having a character like lily say i still masturbate i'm still sexual i just can't Mm. do it internally such Mm. an important thing to have on screen and i thought that was absolutely brilliant for them to do that yeah so true because also in unorthodox there's sexual tension between the main character and another man Mm. where there's a lot of kind of desire there between them so that also kind of goes against that There were times when she couldn't physically have sex, but then she was still attracted and desired another person, which kind of speaks to that, I guess, in sex education. And then the third time where I've seen Vaginismus recently is in Holly Bourne's new book, which is called Pretending. I don't want to give too much away about it because it's uh, only come out, I think, last month and people might not have picked it up yet. But the central character in that, again, has vaginismus and The book really goes into the psychology behind the conditions. So Mm. she says very early on in the book that her vaginismus is caused by a sexual assault in the past, which we know for some women, vaginismus is caused by trauma. For some women, Mm. it might be caused by childbirth or a medical condition or other women, they don't know what causes their vaginismus. And actually that can be just as frustrating because then you have no answers. So Holly's book was so great in exploring why you might have it in the first place, but then how it also impacts your life, particularly if you're dating. So the protagonist in Pretending is, uh, I think she's in her late 20s or early 30s, and she's going on all these dates and she's going, oh my God, I want to sleep with this guy, but when do I tell him? When do I tell him? When do I tell him? And of course, that internal dialogue is making everything physically harder when she does eventually come to have sex. And you you read it and it's there are parts of that book that are so relatable that I think even if you don't have vaginismus you can then relate to 
what having that condition must be like and it and it sounds really tough and definitely something we need to talk about more I'm super excited to have the guests on the podcast today because there's just so much to talk about in terms of vaginismus and so many different experiences and causes and just really excited to have the guests on. Today we're joined by Lisa McKenzie, co-founder of the Vaginismus Network, a community for people with vaginismus which aims to educate, connect, support and empower people who are living with this condition. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I was hoping we could kick things off by talking about your experience, because I know you set up the network because you have had vaginismus yourself. Can you describe what it feels like and when you started experiencing it? Yeah, of course. So I would say it's been a big part of my life since the age of about 16 or 17 when I first um, got into a relationship. Um, And it was apparent quite early on that penetrative sex was a difficult thing for us to achieve. Um, It's been a part of my life, um, I guess, in terms of not talking about it to anybody. So it's kind of dominated my life in a big way. Up until about the age of 32, I'm 36 now, so when I first started to kind of open up to people more about it. Um, And it's crazy to think that I didn't ever talk about it, but I think because there's a lot of shame and stigma um, attached to this condition, I just kind of completely closed in and didn't find, didn't know how to communicate to others about it. I didn't have a name for it for so long, so I couldn't kind of articulate what I was feeling. I was with my first serious boyfriend for eight years and very early on it became apparent that penetration was difficult. We didn't really talk about it. I'd say we might have attempted to early on, but communication kind of shut down in that regard quite quickly. You know, it was our first serious relationship. We didn't have a template for what good looked like um, and we didn't know how to talk about it. And I think we both felt a lot of shame because our friends all around us were supposedly having fun and having sex as, you know, the standard way that's put out there in the media. It did impact our relationship in that we had a sex life in other ways. Um, So I'm always clear that, you know, sex is more than penis and vagina, but for a long time I didn't feel that or believe that. I guess because we couldn't achieve this one gold standard way of having sex, it kind of undermined everything else that we did. And I certainly overcompensated in many ways because for a long time I carried a lot of embarrassment, guilt and shame that I couldn't give him this one thing. So I kind of did all sorts of other things that maybe I didn't want to at the time, um, but I felt that I had to because I had to be this woman and give him everything else that I possibly could. That relationship broke down and then I didn't know still what the issue was. Um, I mean, over the years, I sort of Googled some of the symptoms and I did come across the word vaginismus. But everything that I read for me as a young girl growing up with, you know, thinking I might have this condition felt quite scary and it made me feel quite helpless. Um, So I, I can totally, you know, I understand fully how this condition can control and dominate your life and make you feel like it is the end of the world and make you feel heartbroken and all those things. I totally get that. I'm I'm not undermining it. But all the information out there was, you know, that I was reading, it was things like case studies around women saying how there's just no future or there are failures or they don't see a way out. How did you kind of get to diagnosis then if this is kind of taking you into 
what, late 20s? Yeah. So I didn't deal with it when I kind of thought, oh, it could be vaginismus. The stuff that I found put me off. So shut the laptop, was like, no, that's not me. And then it was actually by chance, it was a really good friend of mine whose auntie is a psychosexual therapist and she's got a good psychosexual therapist network. And it was through that that gradually I kind of started to come to terms with the fact that, okay, it's vaginismus. I remember my therapist mentioned the word early on and I again shut down. I said, I don't want to be associated with that. Thank you very much. But it was just through that process that I gradually came to terms with it. Yeah. And I know that's a big part of why you set up the network as well, wasn't it? Because as you say, there's so much, there's so many negative portrayals about vaginismus out there rather than empowering portrayals. Is that, was that one of the core reasons why you wanted to create the network? Yeah. The core reason we set it up was to connect other people with vaginismus primarily. We said, you know, there should be more ways to connect people with this condition. We match people who join the network, um, you know, based on age, if they're happy to give it and location and how they'd like to meet. But we also, you know, connect people through events. And as you say, we also wanted to put out information that was just a bit more human and um, empowering as well. I want people to know that, you know, I, I get how it feels. It is really shit and it's overwhelming and it can feel like the end of the world but it shouldn't define you and it should be something you control rather than the other way around are there any common misconceptions around sex and vaginismus that you would like to bust the first one is that sex is so much more than penis and vagina and i could bang on about that all day but as a young girl growing up with vaginismus and feeling like, you know, I can't have penetrative sex or penetrative sex is a very difficult thing. Like I say, it kind of undermines anything else you do sexually. Foreplay should be a word that's banned. I think it's all included. You can have sex in any way, shape or form that you want. Um, the term virginity is not a useful one as well. I think it's an unhelpful label. I think it's a social construct. Mm. And I think, you know, it's not something to lose. It's, it's, it's not a thing. So I'd say reframing things like that are definitely useful when you're going through something like vaginismus. And it's also not kind of just about, doesn't just affect sex as well. So it's, yeah, it's more than about sex and a penis. So it can affect, you know, for some women, they can't insert the tip of their finger, um, a tampon, a moon cup. Um, it makes cervical smear tests incredibly difficult or traumatic. So it's definitely penetration more broadly. And I think that's an important point to remember, actually, because people often think, right, it's just about sex and that's the only way it's kind of impacting but it's definitely more broader than that. So there are many many stories of women going for years without speaking about vaginismus or seeking help or accessing any of those treatments. I know you mentioned earlier that you were in an eight-year relationship and you didn't really tackle it outside of that relationship for a long time. Why do you think so many people affected by vaginismus delay getting any help or speaking about it? I mean, I can touch upon my experience, but it might be slightly different now because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not 17 anymore. But back then for me, it was definitely the shame that comes with it. Um, so I think when you can't have, you know, sex, for example, in the normal and in inverted commas way, you feel like 
a bit of a failure. I know as a young woman with it, I felt like I was broken or the only person in the world dealing with it. And it's incredibly confusing and heartbreaking to deal with. And I think sex in general, especially, you know, back then was a more difficult um, topic to broach as well. So I think the shame and the stigma definitely um, play a major part in it. Um, I'd say for some women who are diagnosed or want to get diagnosed, they might visit their GP and either be misdiagnosed or kind of treated quite flippantly, which can, again, prolong the time they take to get treated. I hear about women who and by the way, I'm not tarring all GPs with the same brush because there are some wonderful ones out there and I hear about some amazing ones. But there's also some that I've heard about who, you know, tell you to go and relax and drink a glass of wine. Or I've heard of a girl who's been told to go and have more sex or go and have less sex or you're young, you'll grow out of it. It's fine. Oh, wow. So <laughs> no, and I, I feel really strongly about this because actually when you go and speak to a GP about something like this, it can be scary. It can be such a personal thing and you should go safe in the knowledge that you're going to be met with understanding and compassion and mm. you know be listened to but it's it feels like it's such a lucky dip and it shouldn't be the case but yeah I, I guess I, I believe the the main reason is just the, the shame that people feel when they're living with something like this it does make you feel like you failed in some way which it totally shouldn't but it, it does what advice would you give to couples who are dealing with vaginismus right now and are in the position that you were? Well, I can't advise based on my own experience because I was a mute for eight years. <laughs> so we won't go with that. Um, from my experience of opening up to friends, I guess you could apply it to a partner as well. And thinking of vaginismus and dating, I decided to finally open up to one friend and I sent her an email explaining exactly what I was feeling and saying, I think it's vaginismus because I personally found it uncomfortable to communicate face to face. I'd say when I'm dating and I feel comfortable with somebody and I think I want to open up to them about it, I would keep it simple. So I've dated in the past and I've been very apologetic and um, almost feeling like a burden. And so when I felt more confident and dated with vaginismus, I basically just explained to the person that, you know, penetrative sex has always been a more difficult thing for me. I can have a sex life in other ways whilst we work through that, um, but it, it's not a big deal. And I think absolutely do not apologise. I think you just need to explain that in terms of penetration, you just need a bit more support and it just needs to take that, you know, take it a little bit slower. And I think communication is absolutely key. So do the opposite of what I did when I was young. Um, communicate a lot. It can be incredibly hard, but I think, you know, it's the only way to kind of work through this with a partner. If you take penetration off the table for a while, actually it takes the pressure off things and you can be sexual in other ways. And then maybe that part will become easier. Um, for women who are undergoing treatment for vaginismus and are maybe dilating, you know, they might want to introduce dilating into the bedroom with their partner as well. So get their partner to use the dilators on them or other sex toys just to make them feel more part of it. You know, I speak to women who kind of treat vaginismus and their sex life with their partner quite separately. And I think there's something quite powerful about bringing it together and including them in it as well. 
dilating is obviously one of the biggest ways this is treated. But can you tell us anything about the other forms of physical therapy that are available? For me, dilating and psychosexual therapy was a winning combination. So the physical exercises at home and then talking therapy, so talking with a psychosexual therapist about vaginismus, normalising it, kind of figuring out the whys and all of that was really, really beneficial. Um, there's a whole range of sex toys out there that, though that you can use if you don't want to use dilators. So the sex shop Shush have got an amazing range and some of them are similar size to dilators and, you know, maybe they vibrate or maybe they just look a bit nicer to you and um there's also the whole thing feel less medical as well doesn't it oh my god so yeah that's so true so my it was my therapist who put me in touch with um shush in the first place so I was really anti-dilating and I'd reached a stage where I needed to start considering it but I was really anti it because my only idea of dilating was the um hard plastic white gesturing hair <laughs> the, mm-hmm. I always do that the hard plastic white ones that you see and I just thought oh that looks really cold and clinical and I don't want to put that anywhere near myself um but it was my therapist who put me in touch with shush and it was so amazing um I booked her like little meeting with them at their shop and the senior store manager this wonderful lady called Renee um sat down with me and she gave me some Prosecco as well which was great and she just talked me through the dilators kind of normalized them and I I left the shop feeling you know I still felt like oh I really don't want to have to be doing this but I felt a lot more empowered than you know just being given a kit via the NHS or buying one online like it was such an important experience for me. Lisa we ask all of our guests that come on the podcast the same question what makes you uncomfortable? Um, Okay I'm probably going to sound like the worst human ever or slightly ungrateful but I do genuinely cringe and feel uncomfortable when somebody gives me a present and I have to open it in front of them. (laughs) I kind of close into myself and I don't know where it came from. In my mind, I think maybe there's this one second where your true reaction shows. And I think, God, is someone going to give me a gift? And I'll think, do you really know me? Or what, what is this piece of crap? And it will show. And I hate offending people. So I always just feel really, really uncomfortable with that. I'm the worst gift receiver. I'm a very good gift giver, but... I just, I hate it. I'm cringing now. You feel like you have to do a really over the top, wow, I like it. Like even when you love the present, you seem fake. It's impossible to like get the tone right. I'm glad you get what I mean. (laughs) Lisa, thank thank you you so much. much. Thank you so much. It's really nice to have you. We've heard such great stuff about all of your work. So we're really, really grateful to have you on. I am 44 years old and I've suffered from vaginismus for at least four years. And prior to that, in my 20s, I also suffered from it then. I uh, have secondary vaginismus, which means it's not a physical cause, but more of a psychological cause uh, that makes it happen. And it feels like pain. It's physical pain because literally if one's having intercourse nothing can get in it just hurts it's like smashing against a wall but the wall is you or if a speculum is trying to get in it's horrible it's burning it's painful and it's emotionally really sad 
In my 20s, I was in an abusive relationship. Sex didn't really matter then because it was one of the ways that my partner controlled me. We didn't have any. But what did matter to me was the fact that my physiological response was for my vagina to seize up. I couldn't even get a tampon in. I was in therapy for vaginismus for a few months before I was able to have penetrative sex. Um, I even coped with IVF treatment several years later. But even now, I still can't use tampons. I can't insert vibrators um, and I find smear tests incredibly stressful and often impossible. But what I've learned about vaginismus is that it's a state of mind and that I am capable of overcoming it. joined by Dr. Wafa Eltantawe, who is a qualified psychosexual therapist, relationship counsellor and gynaecologist. Thank you so much for joining us. We're really, really pleased to have you here and to get all of the knowledge from you. We're just going to soak it up. The first thing I wanted to ask was about the causes of vaginismus. We've heard a bit earlier on from um, Lisa McKenzie, who shared her personal experience of vaginismus. She's the founder of the Vaginismus Network. But I was hoping you could speak more generally about some of the women that you see in your line of work and what are some of the reasons behind their own experiences? Uh, thank you very much for having me in, in your podcast. Um, I'm really pleased to be with you today. Um, yeah, vaginismus is a term used to reflect involuntary spasm of the pelvic floor muscles, which stops people from having vaginal penetration or sexual intercourse. As you mentioned in your question, it has physical causes, it has psychological causes, and it has cultural causes, it has also physiological causes, interpersonal causes, and relational causes as well. So if we talk about each of these, it's really many, many factors involved with vaginismus. Would you be able to talk to us about the different types of vaginismus? Because we understand that there's primary and secondary. Yeah, that's, that's right. We have primary vaginismus where the woman can't have any penetrative sex or other vaginal penetration. So we always ask, have you ever managed to insert the tampons? And you will find that woman can't even touch herself or insert the tampons, can't insert a finger inside her and, and can't do any kind of vaginal penetration either by a partner or by herself. This is what we call primary and it's always associated with pain. So that's one thing. The secondary vaginismus is developed after the woman managed to have painless sexual experience before and she was absolutely fine. Suddenly she is not able to have penetrative sex again. And this is, could be a traumatic birth, maybe a traumatic operations down there. Some infection happened. Any trauma can cause that. And I have to say both the treatment for both of them are more or less the same. So we need to find the reason for that and treat it. And this brought me to remember a case I dealt with, um, a woman who was absolutely fine and she had sex for a number of years and then she had a baby and she had traumatic birth. She couldn't have sex after for two years until we met and we worked through the condition and actually she managed to have sex. And the first time she had sex, she got pregnant. It, it, it's amazing, really. It's amazing. It's, it's, a, it's a very rewarding work, I have to say, if, uh, when you help a woman to overcome her difficulties. So please, please, women, please don't keep silent. Please come forward and ask for help. Ask your doctor, come to sexual health clinic, ask your gynecologist, anyone you see, say, I have this condition, I need help. When someone's in a heterosexual relationship and then the woman's presenting with vaginismus, you think it's really important to get the guys 
in at the same time. Can you tell us a bit about those sessions? What do you tell men about vaginismus and why is it so important for them for them to be there? It's a good point because, you see, if you think about relationship, what does it mean? Relationship means two people in a friendship relationship, sexual relationship or partner relationship. I always tell them, you don't perform sex alone. You see, you are doing it together. And if you're doing it together, this means both of you are not responsible. I don't like the word responsible, but I would say both of you have to share or to work together to achieve a satisfactory sexual experience. There are many studies done about the impact of vaginismus on men. We found that uh, men can get develop erectile dysfunction because they keep trying and they couldn't and they thought they are not good enough. So straight away they lose their erection. So erectile dysfunction, one of them. Um, lack of ejaculation, one of them, and also lack of desire. Because they can't perform with a woman or they can't penetrate. So they feel like they can, it's their problem as well. So they develop sexual dysfunctions. So seeing them gives me more information about what's going on when they try to have sex. Because the woman will have their own perception about the problem. The man will have their his own perception about the problem and when you hear them together it gives you a big perspective or a perspective about how the problem is what's going on there and it's interesting every time you talk to the husband or the wife or the partner you will find different perception mm, that's so interesting what if any are the possible cultural influences that that leads to vaginismus in some of the Middle East culture, as you said, the woman is not having the freedom some men have, all right? So the woman will be like, no sexual relationship before marriage and shouldn't have any relationship before marriage and should keep her hymen. Also, one of the things I noticed that lack of education, you see, we don't have anything called sex education in the Middle East. Compared with here, even I have some reservation about sex education in UK, because sex education here is about say no if you don't want to have sex, use condom only. But actually, we don't teach them what happens when they have sex. I found that interesting because um, part of the session we do is um, explain the sexual response cycle and what happened to your body, what changes uh, you need to have before you manage to have penetration. It's exactly like a man can't have sex without having a good erection or an erection. Women can't have sex without having a similar physiological change step there. Get the vagina ready, get the uterus ready, get the clitoris ready, get every part of the genital system ready. And people don't know that. You mentioned earlier that you've been working in this field for 20 years or even more, even longer than that. In that time, has awareness of vaginismus or attitudes towards it changed at all? I have to say, yes, um, there is a bit of awareness. We need to raise awareness between women a lot more. Uh, women should be aware that if they can't have sex, they shouldn't blame themselves because it's interesting. And still to this time, I see women coming alone and they say, I have a problem. Yes, you have a problem, but it's not your problem alone. It's, it's again, as you hear it here in in, in UK, you, can, you see it takes two to tango. Mm. <laughs> That's yeah, so, so true. Six, um, it seems as well like the solution or the kind of treatment plan isn't straightforward 
either. And from the discussions that we've had today and from your work, um, it seems to be that the kind of route or the popular route to treatment is a combination of physical and psychological therapy. How do these elements work together and why is it the most effective route? So if you are a sex therapist and you are not qualified medical personnel, then you will be asking the woman to see a doctor. Because I'm a gynecologist, so I have the privilege of examining women. And it's fascinating. You, you see how women react on the table, on the couch when you examine them. It tells you a lot. It's very informative, not only to find about the physical reason, but to find about how the woman behaves on the couch. It's a suitable condition. It's not difficult to treat. It's just seek help, please. And there are many, many other things, you see, we can do to help them. Seeing the couple together over sex therapy. It's about using vaginal dilators. If there are any physical conditions, we treat the physical condition. And, and there, is, there is a lot of help. But please, please seek help. Don't just keep quiet. It can be treated easily. Thank you. That's a really great note to end on. We have one final question that we put to all of our podcast guests, which is, what makes you uncomfortable? It's just, I have been working in this field for a long time. And I don't like doing any videos <laughs> or podcasts or anything like that. What a thing to admit. <laughs> I, I, to be honest, until this moment, I, I don't put myself across to such thing. But when you contacted me, I said, OK, this is an opportunity. Why don't you take it? I feel really um, uncomfortable about showing myself. You can put it this way. I can work in silence. I can do a lot of work. I feel happy to help people, but... I don't know why I feel this way. No, that makes me feel super honoured to have you as a guest, even more so then. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been really, really brilliant. Thank you. it this week from am i making you uncomfortable you can subscribe and review this podcast please give us five stars be kind and if you know anyone who would benefit from reading the podcast who can't listen to it we've got a transcript of the whole chat on our website so go check that out and direct them to it i'm rachel moss and you can find me at rachel moss underscore i'm brogan driscoll and you can follow me at brogan underscore driscoll Thanks to our producer, Crystal Genesis, our assistant producer, Rachel Porter, and our sound engineer, Nag Karinde. You've just listened to Am I Making You Uncomfortable? And our hashtag is AIMYU. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.